When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included. All while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. Because <laughs> oh, nice. it's our Halloween episode. Oh, that's right. It's very close to Halloween, isn't it? A that's day right. after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my name is Ben, of course, and you are uh, super producer uh, Noel Spooktown Brown. <laughs> it rhymes. It does. That's yeah. literally the only thing it has going for it. Yeah, well, maybe we'll work on it. Maybe we won't. Spooktown's not bad. Not bad. Ghost Rider? Uh, ooh, even better. <laughs> I, I do like that one. So, uh, before we get down to business, we have a, we have a, a special announcement. Uh, yes, yeah, I don't even know if you can call it a, an, a correction, announcement, a whatever it is. A follow-up. That might be the way to say it. Um, remember we just recently did a show about black sheep cars, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. So, somewhere in our history, you know, um, in the last year or maybe more even, I don't know exactly when, uh, one of the, one of our listeners wrote in, his name is Steve Smith, and he had mentioned in, in some form or another, Something about the the Thunderbird, you know, the eleventh generation Thunderbird, and then the Prowler also as being um, not successful models, while while the retro designed Mustang uh, was a success during the same time frame, so right around two thousand five when they went back to the uh, the retro design, uh-huh. and uh, that was one of the examples that I gave in the black sheep cars, and I, I got to tell you, Ben, I thought that was like my own independent thought. I was uh, I created these notes, um, you know, ahead of time when I was sitting in my car in the parking structure here at work. And uh, I wasn't looking at any notes or anything like that. But when I read it on air, um, Steve wrote in and said, hey, I, I noticed you used my idea that, uh, you know, that was, uh, it was something he had written in about. Exactly. And so I apologize. I don't know if that just somehow stuck in my head as like such a, a, a like an excellent observation that I thought it was like my own thought or what. I, I apologize if that was the case. But um I don't know. I just really thought that that was like my own thing at the time. I didn't. I didn't mean to not give him credit or anything like oh, that. Oh well, Steve, thank you for writing in. Of course, we get a lot of emails and we read a lot of stuff, and it, it kind of reminds me of which invention was it? I think it was the typewriter was independently invented in a couple of different places, or something like what would become the typewriter. Yeah, I think that happens all the time with inventions, doesn't it? Don't they? I mean, it fits a need that's, you know, something at the time, Yeah. and a lot of people come up with variations of it, and then eventually they, they figure out which one works best. Uh, but, but yeah, I didn't mean to, you know, in any way gloss over that or anything. I just... Uh, or claim it as my own thought when it really wasn't, but I, I, do, I don't know. I can't, I can't ah. determine if it was something that stuck in my head from his note or, you know, if I was just thinking of the same thing. I'll tell you what, though. I liked that episode. That was a fun episode to do. It was a fun episode. You are so lucky I didn't find that second page of notes because that would have been a two-hour episode. <laughs> That's fine. We could definitely do a follow-up. <laughs> you we know. probably should. Well, anyways, thanks, Steve. Now to uh, set the mood, uh, I'm going to ask our editor, uh, Dylan, to provide, like, a dark, stormy night sound effect. Perfect. Oh, yeah, that does it. Yeah. All right, so uh, where are we at? Where are we at, Scott? All right, here's where we are. We're in mid-19th century London, and there is a... uh 
That is a very little-known train that I think our listeners would be interested in hearing about. I, I have a feeling that not many people know about this. No, it, I had no idea. I didn't either until I stumbled across this, and it, it probably comes up in the news right around this time every year, but I just hadn't really paid attention to this kind of thing until now. And uh, we were looking for something a little spooky, a little, uh, little scary for mm-hmm. Halloween, and uh, this fits the bill for sure. Yes. In 1854... A foggy London town, uh, a company called the London Necropolis Company opened a very particular type of railway, yeah. and uh, it had a it had a car leaving every day on a what twenty three mile journey. Yeah, yeah, twenty three mile journey that took forty minutes. Uh, went outside of London to a uh, a town nearby. What was it called? Is it Surrey? Is that right? Uh, it it passed Westminster Richmond Park. Hampton Court, it ultimately went to Surrey, you're correct, in Brookwood. And here's the other thing. That route was purposely chosen so that it was a, uh, a picturesque route. You know, it was a, something that had comforting scenery along the mm-hmm. way. And uh, when you initially understand what the, what we're talking about, you may think, well, what, what does scenery matter really to the, the individuals on this train? But um, there were there were people on this train as well. Yeah, there were all sorts of people, and a lot of the passengers on the train were pretty upset, so the comforting scenery would hopefully, uh, you know, help them feel a little less dreary and grave. Why would they be feeling dreary, Ben? Well, because of the other passengers, their loved ones, or at least their corpses. Yeah, this is the strange bit about this. Now, this is uh, this is a train, an entire train line that would design only to carry the dead and the mourners to a cemetery outside of London. It was an operation for a long time. Yeah, get this. Now, this is the first you and I have really heard about this thing. Oh, yeah. There's going to be some train experts out there that have heard of this or, you know, some history buffs or something. But for 87 years, this train operated outside of London or into and out of London. Uh, It's a huge – it's a long – chunk of time there, a huge chunk of time, from 1854 all the way until 1941. Mm-hmm, exactly. And this is strange because this means that if you are living in London and you may know someone um, older in your family who had ridden this train, I want to paint the scene just a little bit here because there are some important things we have to, we have to say. Like some, some background. Some background. Yeah, perfect. So... 1854, why why did they wait so long to build this? If you have ever lived in a city, you know that since time immemorial, cities have had uh, some very particular problems. One would be just basic sanitation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where does all the waste go? Another would be clean water, uh, law and order, of course, and then something a lot of people don't think about, the bodies. Yeah, disposal of the dead. And it was a huge problem in mid-19th century London. And the reason it was a big problem right then and not before this is because between 1801 and 1851, the population of London more than doubled at that time. Absolutely. So it became extremely overcrowded. And the problem was inside London, you know, it's so densely populated now, oh, yeah. inside of London, there was something like – this article says less than 300 acres of burial property – it's actually closer to 200 acres. Right, yeah, for uh, the uh, for the space for burial throughout the city, right? Yeah, throughout, I mean, we're talking churchyards and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other other areas that are designated as cemeteries. We're talking total. Yeah, total, 218 acres is all they had. Now, that sounds like a pretty good chunk of land, I guess, if you're talking about within London. But the problem was, at the time, because of the sanitation and the, the living conditions, 50,000 people a year were dying in London at the at the turning point like I guess the midpoint of the century. Yeah. Here's the other here's the other thing. That was just the normal death rate. In 1848, a cholera outbreak struck the city. Yeah, and that led to 2,000 deaths per week. So uh, this became an enormous problem. Um, you know, and of course, you know, there's some really interesting stuff around this. I was reading a lot about this last yeah, night. Yeah, this is grisly. Um, so it's fascinating. There's a few places that if, if listeners want to get more uh, about this or want to learn more about this and, and just understand just how dire the situation was, there's an article in The Guardian, and it's called Death in the City, The Grisly Secrets of Dealing with Victorian London's Dead. And it's not a very long article, but it is just packed with information about 
what the what the situation was like there, what the uh, the, the sanitary conditions were like or unsanitary conditions right. were like. Because the at some point after the cholera outbreak, the, I, this sounds like some real end of the world stuff, ladies and gentlemen. The graveyards are full. They've reached what's called a saturation point. Yeah, because the primary way of disposing of the dead was burial. They didn't really cremate at this point because that was kind of a foreign idea to them. Right. Although it was known, you could do that. A lot of people didn't want to because of religious beliefs. So mm-hmm. uh, religion is going to play into this whole thing later as well. But um, what was happening was, uh, you know, to, in order to, to continually find space for the new dead, they were having to remove, sometimes under the cover of night, you know, without people knowing, uh, recently buried individuals have them cremated, you know, without the families knowing, just to, to create more space, to, to make more space. And it was, this is going on over and over and over again. And they were stacking bodies in um, in well-like um, areas, you know, where they're deep, you know, dig down twenty, thirty, you know, twenty-five feet, and just pile them on top of one yeah. another. It was just horrible conditions. So you got to understand where this comes from. You know, the, the need, the uh, the drive to get this done quickly. And uh, and this this uh, this railway that came about in what do we say eighteen fifty four, it was timed just right. Right, and it also it, it was a pretty successful operation because it transported more than two thousand bodies a year and its glory days at its peak, uh, and that would include you know family, friends, loved ones. So you could leave with your uh, with your. Recently deceased. That's the best way relative. to say it. Yeah. Uh, at, you know, 20 minutes till noon, go to the burial, have a funeral get-together at one of the cemetery's two train stations, and then take the same train back, and you would be back and done by 3.30. Now, see, you're very specific about the time. 20 minutes to noon, mm-hmm. back by 3.30. That's that's a train schedule. Trains yeah. run on time meticulously. Right. Uh, so, or at least they used to. I don't know if they still do or not. I, I've ridden a few that maybe are not all that well run but um yeah the, the uh this line in particular that's one of the critiques of the whole thing later on that we'll get to but right. um yeah it was a it, the thing is it's very efficient very very um uh very quick very speedy i guess but a lot of people didn't like that as well. They thought that it was, you know, kind of improper. And we you know, have a quote about that. Yeah, from the uh, from the Bishop of London. Now, I, I think that this is maybe a, a mistake here um, with the uh, the year that's printed because it says right. 1842, and that would predate the rail by 12 years. And if it was even a misprint by you know 100 years, if it was 1942, uh, it's already gone at that point. So mm-hmm. just a mistaken year here in the article, but. Um, it, it, he does say that he, the Bishop of London is quoted as saying, um, he felt that, that the pairing of grief and efficiency was really improper. It just wasn't right. So, um, he testified before the House of Commons, uh, the Select, Select Committee in 1842. Well, again, 1842. I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go for an accent. All right. Okay. Of course. Back me up on this one, Scott. <laughs> uh, at present, we are not sufficiently habituated through that mode of traveling not to consider the hurry and bustle connected with it as inconsistent with the solemnity of a Christian funeral. Very nice. So that's got a lot. That's a very strange sentence structure, but they're saying exactly what you said earlier, Scott. Yeah, it's like it was just too much of a hurry. Right. It was too mechanical. It wasn't personal enough. It didn't have the uh, the sensitivity of of a a slow, solemn Christian funeral. Right, and it felt maybe a little newfangled and somehow dismissive of the importance of the event. It would be. Uh, I, w- I was thinking about how we would compare this. Uh, what it's kind of like. Someone passes away and you can't bury them in Atlanta, so you have to take you have to get your friends on a bunch of segways and go to this <laughs> something completely unusual. Something completely something unusual. Out of I know ordinary. a segway would be impractical, but you know that's the point. I, like the newness. Yeah, of it. I, I understand. I understand. I get it. Um, or or trying to convince your. Uh, how about this? What if you're trying to convince some of your older relatives that you were going to have a funeral, but it was okay if they attended via Skype? Oh, wow. You know, that's some, great. Yeah, okay, that's some, a good example. Something like that. You know, new technology. It's not like really being there, but you're there. It's, uh, I don't know. It, maybe that's the best uh, example I can come up with. But you're right. The, the method of conveyance is more what they were concerned with at this point and the uh-huh. speed of it. Um, you know, kind of a new thing. But people trains. got used to it. Yeah, they did. And the thing is, you know, a lot of people. Okay, Okay, well, people still considered it spooky and weird and it unusual. Is. It is. And, and it is. It still is that way. It really <laughs> is. 
And I think a lot of people still feel that way. But the, the thing was, the people that, that worked on it, you know, the people that were, were uh, hands-on with this thing, like the stonemasons and the, the railway company and even the cemetery workers themselves, to them, it was just kind of business as usual. They didn't see anything out of the ordinary about this other than, you know, this is probably the first time ever that a train was dedicated strictly for uh, you know the the carrying of the dead and the mourners. It was it was a, yeah. like a one way thing, or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say one way, but more like a um, um, a direct route, I suppose. It's not like it's a stop on the way where you're unloading a casket and it's going to go into a, a town and be buried. It's it's strictly going to the cemetery and then back to London to drop off the mourners and then back again with another another casket. And they purposely built this cemetery for this purpose, very far away, because they didn't want it to be affected by urban growth. And guys, we cannot overemphasize the severity of the situation. We're not just talking about mass burials. We're talking about Eventually, at the height of the problem, we're talking about bodies just stacked next to churches. Okay, I, I have to mention this because it's yeah. something I, I dug up last night while I was reading through this. It might be mentioned in that uh, "Death in the City" article that I mentioned from the Guardian mm-hmm. earlier. But if you look up look up this uh, this later on on your own, Enon Chapel, spelled E N O N Chapel, and it's in London. And check out what they discovered there in 1839, and that will uh, that'll curl your toes. That is a uh, that's a scary one. Um, so anyway, and interesting also for the time. It, uh, it has to deal with a, a very crooked minister who is a thief. Oh, no. And uh, it gets worse from there. It's, it's just unbelievable what happens. So check it out on your own. Um, I think we should mention some of the critics of this. You know, we, we talked about how yeah. pe- people didn't really like it, you know, and some people eventually kind of got used to it, but it was also spooky and everything. And we, we said that, you know, it was a little bit too um, too quick, too mechanical, right? Yeah. But there were others that had different concerns, and this was a uh, – um, a group of people that was concerned about how the social classes would mix, and you got to remember that this is uh, this is Victorian era London, and that was very much a concern with them. There were there were separate carriages for each class, as was the custom at the time, anyways. You know, for uh, for the living, but they also separated out the dead. They didn't want the 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 corpses to be in contact with other corpses from different classes. God. So there were first, second, and third class live passengers, and first, second, and third class dead passengers and they all had to have a ticket you know what's terrible about that it's so exploitative and it happens with funerals today anybody who's had a a loved one pass you know uh i'm not saying that there are like all funeral directors are bad or something that's what i'm talking about i'm not talking about the individuals i'm talking about the industry that is created to say like to guilt people into buying a super expensive casket or something Mm -hmm. and I can easily see someone saying, you know, well, you wouldn't want little Isabella to take her last train ride in third class, would you? Mm-hmm. What kind of parent are you? Yeah, I, it just seems so manipulative. Uh, honestly, I, I, I think that it had something to do with what you were will, willing to pay, but it also was a social class. So it's also where you stood in the in society. So even if you had enough money for the corpse to have a premium ticket, they wouldn't accept it. But I unless think, you were like the Earl of Sandwich or whatever. I, I, I believe that's the case. But you know what? I I can't say for sure. I, I, I it wasn't that much and it wasn't that in depth here. But yeah. Also, I don't think that if you were. Uh, you know, of the lower class, you d- you wouldn't have enough money for a ticket like that. So I, I think that it, it maybe excluded them that way. But a it lot just of this seems was so weird. Yeah, you know, well, it does seem really. It seems really strange. And um, you know, they they said here, you know, that the fact that both a banker and a beggar could ride on the same train and end up at the same station was just unheard of for them. It was just too uh, too equal for them to Scandalous. consider to consider at the time. So um, it, you know, playing into this whole thing too is religion. So you know, there's you know. Outside of the belief that all people are, are equal, you know, they didn't they didn't feel that. There was also the religious thing. So um, a lot of uh, this circ- – uh, I guess a lot of the circles around the idea that there was an Anglican part of the cemetery and there was a nonconformist part of the cemetery as well. No Catholic part? Uh, well, the, the Anglicans were Christians, but – Specifically tied into the Church of England, so I don't. I, I, I'm not I know a, what you mean. It's I'm not a religion pl- expert, but I, right. yeah. So it, it's within the, uh, the the umbrella of Christianity was 
these Anglicans that are also associated closely with the Church of England. I, that's maybe the best way to say it, and I hope I didn't mix that up in any way, but uh, that you get the gist of that anyway. Yeah. It's, a, it's a religious thing as well. And they were also, you know, aside from being separated on the train, they were to be buried in separate parts of this enormous cemetery that they had. Now, um, huge, huge cemetery, by the way. Yeah, like uh, 1,500 1,500 acres? 1,500 acres at this uh, this Brookwood Cemetery, which they had nicknamed the London Necropolis. So they, they uh, called it like a, like, like a town almost, right? Like city of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. So strange, huh? So, you know, all those numbers we talked about, how big, you know, the, the huge numbers. Once they got outside of the city limits, you know, where it was so crowded and, and, and mm-hmm. densely, well, way overpopulated, um, you know, outside of those 218 precious acres that they had to bury the dead there, they had now they have 1,500 you know lush green acres to bury people, and they thought that they were going to have enough for uh, the next. I think I've seen numbers like 350 years is what they they had proposed that they would have uh, space for uh, 350 years worth of dead in London if they c- continued to use this one. Wow. Um, so huge, huge, uh, huge place. But the problem was, uh, you know, as we we mentioned for. Uh, most people was that uh, you were not being buried close to home, right? And you were also, and I'm I'm kind of stepping back here because you know they're already using this line, but um, you know a lot of people wanted to be buried close to home or near the church that they attended, or you know, so they could go see their loved one. Exactly right. They could pay respects, but this is putting them, uh, you know, twenty what was it, twenty three miles mm-hmm. outside of the city, and a lot of people couldn't get there. And the other thing is that you know initially they thought, well, it's fine to bury them outside of the city, but a lot of people couldn't afford, uh, you know, the horse carriages of the day that, you know, they had to use to... The primary mode of travel for that distance. Yes, exactly. So they couldn't do that. The uh, uh, motor car hearses weren't anything yet. They weren't around. Uh-oh. And not until 1909 did those appear. Um, so, you know, the, the problem was they... they well, the, well, we know the main problem was they, they were trying to trying to find additional space. And, uh, and this was really... The best thing. It was like a it was like a revolutionary idea. No one had ever done this before. Right. They had the dedicated railway and these really nice buildings for the stations. It's beautiful architecture. Uh, so, but separate. Right. It was near. For instance, the York Street station was near the Waterloo station, but just far enough away that normal non-funereal commuters would be able to. Like not get them confused. Yeah, I think the the Waterloo station was the one that they actually used right for the uh, for the initial start of this journey. Right, and the York Street station is the one that is uh, kind of nearby. They uh, had for everybody else. They had two entry halls. Going back to your earlier comment about the class system, one for the hoi polloi, the middle and lower class, and then one for the upper class. And they also had waiting rooms, platforms, mortuaries. Another really grisly thing is. Uh, one author writing about this notes that Waterloo's railway arches were considered a perk because they were an ideal temporary storage space for corpses. Oh boy! Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I mean, again, the piling up of bodies. I mean, there's just there's there's bodies everywhere in London in mid mid nineteenth century. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently. So, all right, most uh, the way that it worked was most families would have their loved one picked up by a horse-drawn hearse, which is, you know, customary at the time. And as we said, you know, that was – it's fine for a short distance, but you can't go 23 miles outside of the city where this new cemetery was. So, Unless you own the horse, man. Yeah, well, the, the funeral <laughs> – I guess so. The, <laughs> the funeral procession then would end at the station, the Waterloo Station, and there yeah. the coffin would be lifted onto an elevator that would carry him up to a platform level and then loaded onto the train. And then the train – had these leather straps that would keep his coffin secu- secure and would carry both mourners and the deceased. Um, so when it arrived at the cemetery, you know, the next, sta- the next station on the route, uh, the group would get off at the south station where the Anglican section was or the north station for the nonconformists, like we talked about just a moment ago, for, for whatever funeral service they were going to have, you know, at the cemetery. Right. And then afterwards, um, I don't know if you mentioned this or not. I think you did. I called it a uh, ceremony, but it's like it's also referred to as a funeral party. Yeah, yeah. There's an after party, I guess. You know, if you call it, you want to call it that. And uh, you know, where people have you know finger sandwiches and stuff like that, and snacks. And I guess in this case, they say pints were served, and that's that's pretty normal. Uh, people kind of. Uh, Breathing a sigh of uh, relief after all the stress of the day, and then right. uh, and they get back on the train and they head back. And and I think you said they were back by three thirty in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. uh, that's it. But again, a speedy, speedy funeral. Um, Railway Magazine in nineteen oh four had a comment on this, and you know, talking about the stations because we we said that they're they're really beautiful stations. Or they sure. were they were beautiful stations. Yeah, time. Um, they say this is possibly the most peaceful railway station in the three corners of the kingdom. It's the station of the dead. And they say that this is a – it's a sad station, of course. It's the saddest one in all of our islands. For every time it's used, it means that the occasion of grief and pain is on those who tread its platforms. So, you know, realizing that, you know, the people there are there for a, a horrible reason, but it's a peaceful place to be. It's a nice situation. It's a nice place outside of the, the hustle and bustle of London to kind of get away and, and take a moment to um, – you know, pay your respects, I guess, and 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 cover. You know, do it with the solemnity. Solemnity. That's yes. It. Solemnity that it that that, that day deserves. It, however, it, it did work in the short term, but it never quite hit the level its planners had hoped. So, the original aims of the company were to effectively offer economic and sanitary burial beyond the city limits forever, if necessary. Forever, if necessary, isn't that something? Yeah, that's crazy. Now, think about this: they were they were probably hoping to get really close to that, 50, you know, fifty thousand a year. Yeah, they were probably hoping to get to that. And what do we say in their their peak years? They were up to like two thousand bodies a year. Yeah. So again, it never quite got to the uh, got to the level they wanted it to get to. According to a historian who literally wrote the book on this, John M. Clark, uh, who wrote a book called "The Brookwood Necropolis Railway," uh, one of the things was that. Just as you said, Scott, most people, given the choice, would rather be buried near where they lived and worked. The idea of being buried almost 30 miles away uh, seemed really strange. And then there's the other thing. The train runs once a day. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's not very convenient for a lot of people, I guess, because um, in mid-century London, a lot of people had a six-day work week. And they had very strict restrictions. They had uh, a lot of restrictions on when they could be there, when they could leave. Very few worker rights. Yeah, exactly right. So you know, with this once a day run, the uh, the train schedule was you know as inflexible as we said, and and the people just couldn't do it unless unless it was happen happening on a Sunday, which meant that you know they didn't have to take a day off of work or right. um, you know something that a lot of people just couldn't simply make it work if, if it wasn't happening on Sunday. You can't, you know, if someone passes away on Monday, you can't say, well, we're going to get to it next week. No, and we're yeah. still, I mean, 
I mean, really, we're still in the early, early days of, uh, you know, I guess what you call modern embalming at that point. Right. Um, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, too, because there's a few related things that I want to talk to you after this. But um, another thing that, uh, that happened here, and, you know, by the way, you know, I should mention that uh, Clark, uh, that you just mentioned before, John Clark, he's a railroad historian. Yeah, so uh, that's that's his perspective on this whole. He's thing. He's not just some guy. No, he's written a book that's uh, and it's it's good. You know, you pick it up and take a look at it. Um, and in, another thing that was going against this was in 1909, uh, the motor car hearse was introduced, and by the 1920s, it had completely overtaken the horse-drawn carriage right. method, and uh, and of course the train by then. So you know, a lot of people could hire a car to or, or you know funeral services could take a, a car anywhere they wanted it wasn't restricted to where the train goes and that's when the decline begins but there's not really a nail in the coffin until 1941 yeah this is uh this is well one of the worst nights of the blitz on april 16th of 1941 uh you know, bombs tore through London and killed more than 1,000 people, uh, caused more than 2,000 fires in the area, and one of them went right through the Necropolis Railway Station and destroyed the whole building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at this point, the train was already running maybe once or twice a week. So rather than construct, reconstruct it, get a new locomotive, get some new cars, the company officials chose to close the line. Yeah, there is something left today, though. So if you're there, yeah. you can still see some things. Now, at Brookwood Cemetery, they have reconstructed the North Station. And uh, from I think I read somewhere that that's kind of overgrown at this point. But, you know, that yeah. ch- that can change in a week. But so I don't know if that's still true. Taking it back, yeah. I don't know if that's still true or not. But uh, but I read somewhere that it was overgrown. Um, in London, there's still a, uh, uh, I guess what you call a facade that's, that exists, but you're not going to see the big words London Necropolis Railway. That's been kind of scrubbed away over time because yeah. it was in soft stone. It eroded. Uh, but that is at 121 West, Westminster Bridge Road, um, right there in London. And you can see this, um, this this elaborate Victorian facade without those words. But if you look back at a photograph of this place, you'll clearly recognize it as that that station. Which is Which is interesting. And this brings us to some related subjects. Because while this is probably the most well-known in England... And the first. And the first, so far as we know, it is not the last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some other stuff going on out there in the world. And we need to mention uh, one. I'm just going to jump right in here with one. Yeah. In Vienna, Austria, there's a train, or a tram, I guess that they call it, uh, that goes straight to the Central Cemetery. And it has several graves of, of famous musicians. There's Beethoven is buried there, Strauss, Mozart. Uh, so, so a lot of the, the, the really big names in classical music are buried there. It's, a, it's really a remarkable cemetery if you've ever looked at photographs or have ever had the fortune to be there. But I've literally th- never seen a single photograph. Oh, okay. Well, No, like in my life. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've just been winging it. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay, I'll have to reset here. But that, uh, what you do is you take the number 71 train yeah. to this graveyard. So they have used that for many, many years now as a euphemism for dying. So if they say that you're you're dying or dead, yeah. you're going to take the number 71 train. Kind of like how in hobo culture they used to say catch the westbound. Yeah, that's it. This is uh, this is catch the catch the 71 or something oh, wow. like that or take the number 71. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's interesting. 71 must be kind of an unlucky number to the superstitious Uh, thing. Maybe. Probably there it is. Yeah, I would guess. Uh, But that's not the only one. That's not the only one. Uh, There's another one uh, for the new Southgate Cemetery. It was established by – the cemetery was established by the Colney Hatch Company in the 1850s, and it had a railway service running from near King's Cross – to a dedicated station at the cemetery, similar to you know London Necropolis, um, and this came in a few years after the uh, the original one we're talking about, London Necropolis, but their railway service uh, closed pretty pretty soon after opening. Not a success, right? But the leader of the Baha'i faith was buried there. Oh, okay. So famous grave sites. Shogi Effendi, I believe. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I've got a couple other quick things here, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also something called a hospital train, and this leads to you know some other stuff that's, that's also related. But um, the first hospital train was built during the Crimean War in the 1850s, and it was used for British Army troops that were – um, in a Russian port that was, you know, just an area that was really, really difficult to get supplies to or, you know, anybody in and out of yeah. at the time. And, of course, the primary purpose of the train was initially arms and equipment and stuff like that. But they, they also started to use it to bring the sick and injured back out of the area. And it was a good idea. 
Um, but the idea did spread from there. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like it was staffed with any kind of you know medical equipment or anything like that. Uh, in fact, um, during the Civil War, you know, which was happening just well, of course, here in the United States, the American Civil War happened not long after that, maybe ten years later. Uh, you know, in between eighteen sixty one and eighteen sixty five, there were some Civil War hospital trains that operated during that time, and they had little or no onboard medical facilities at all. It was just simply a way to transport the injured, dead, dying uh, back and forth. Uh, but it came, became kind of common across the U.S. during uh, during that time to see a, um, uh, a hospital train. And the other thing is that um, I wouldn't say common. It was, you know, you could, you could see them there. Uh, yeah. But what was becoming common was uh, the idea of modern era embalming. And now, again, this is not the first time embalming has been around. Of course, because we're talking about mummification and, sure. you know, other variations <clears throat> of this that go it's back why, to... why we're saying modern. Yeah, right. I mean, mummification, the first examples of that goes back to like five or 6,000 B.C. But, uh, you know, right around the 1850s is where we're getting to this modern era. And uh, obviously not all Civil War soldiers were given that kind of, um, uh, I guess you call it privilege, right, after death. Sure, um, but the Civil War is... The reason we have embalming in the U.S. today, and if you were a high-ranking officer, mm-hmm. you know you were probably, um, you know, hastily preserved on the field there, and then shipped home via train to uh, your town or close to your town, where it was, you know your body was picked up and and delivered to your family to be buried, uh, you know, somewhere. It, it was pretty rare when a I don't know if I should say pretty rare, but rare, but it was it was. Not uncommon for, again, a high-ranking soldier to be shipped outside of the battlefield where most of the, the infantry would be buried right there where they fell. Uh, that was just the way it was at the time. Um, and also there were other um, you know, methods that were coming around by then. They realized you know, uh, a way to refrigerate bodies. There were, there were these unusual coffins during the Civil War that were these crazy multi-piece designs. I mean, clearly cabinet makers had a hand in this one as well. Um, but it was several... There's several components to this thing, but one is a, a lower section that housed ice blocks, and you were able to pack that with ice, put a body oh. on top of that, and then ship that as well. So that played into uh, you know the ability to ship bodies long distances on trains during the Civil War time as well. And then here's another one. Since we're talking about this era, that um, I have a feeling that you you uh, also picked up on this one too, Ben. Ooh, which one? Lincoln's funeral train. Lincoln's funeral train. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. Can you tell us a little about it? Well, this could almost be another episode, really, but uh, yeah. just just give you the highlights, I guess. Um, you know, this this journey of uh, you know the assassinated Abraham Lincoln happened between April twenty first, eighteen sixty five, and May fourth, eighteen sixty five, and it traced in reverse the same path that Lincoln used to get to the White House when he was in, uh, when he was inaugurated. So interesting way that that came about you know of course sad of course because it was just a few years after that but um it traveled through 180 cities and seven states on its way to springfield illinois where you know that was his home state where he wanted to be buried um it's it traveled 1654 miles and it was viewed by millions of americans on the way now I was kind of blown away by that, by millions of americans in these seven states now the entire u.s population in 1865 was 31 million people so people traveled long, long That's distances insane. to see this. Now, I know it was in some crowded areas. It was in the big city, so that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I guess it had that going for it as far as crowds go, you know, like to be able to draw crowds. Everybody, of course, well, not everybody, but most people respected him enough to want to come out and pay last respects. And um, there's some interesting stuff that happened along the way. I don't I don't know if we're really going to have any time for this, but one, one thing that – one little fact that I came across that I had no idea uh, had happened – was that the train also contained the body of Lincoln's 11-year-old son, Willie, uh, um, Willie Lincoln, uh, who had died in 1862 of typhoid fever. So he had died three years prior. But I think as part of the deal to convince, um, uh, what's his wife's name, Mary Todd? Is it Mary Todd? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to convince Mary that this was a good idea to ship his body back to Springfield, Illinois, um, that was kind of part of the deal. I think his, one of his other sons kind of arranged this whole thing, that, uh, that Willie would also be part of the journey. He would join his father in Springfield and be buried next to him. Uh, but it's just really interesting. You can go through and look at uh, – fo- there are lots of photographs of this thing as it traveled across all these states. And um, I think there were 12 cities. It was, there was Baltimore, Maryland, Har- Harrisburg and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New York City, Albany and Buffalo, New York, Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio, and Indianapolis and Michigan City, Indiana. Um, and, of course, you know, he, he was, of course, lying in state in several of these places and at all these places, really. And uh, 
you know, finally ended up in Springfield, Illinois, where the uh, the burial happened. But fascinating train ride. Yes, to say the least. I think we could do a whole episode on that. Well, the train itself was was really interesting, unique in yeah. a lot in a lot of ways. And from what I hear, it was kind of hastily put together. But um, man, what a, what a uh, it's really. Um, Oh, how do I, I mean, very, very Victorian, I guess, in design. Yeah. I mean, it's very ornate. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to uh, take a walk to the future briefly. Is that okay? Sure. In modern, uh, in modern times, we still have the same problem. You know, outside of a few activities in the Middle East and with the Chinese Navy, no one's building more land. Mm -hmm. We're just having more people on it. So the problem of transporting the dead remains today. And you can find some really strange stuff about it. This may interest listeners in the U.S. It's a very lightly regulated industry, Scott. I was reading an account of some of the modern people who will, you know, transport a body from, you know, someone dies in Los Angeles and then they are, their family is in El Paso or something. Uh, they may transport them via hearse or fly them uh, back to their, back to their family. But one guy was saying, one of the guys who drives for a living said, uh, and I quote, uh, my interview consisted of one question. What was that? Do you have a driver's license? That's it. That was it. And this is state by state, so it's regulated differently. Like, he doesn't He doesn't have to be a licensed funeral director nope. or part of that industry in any nope. way. Nope. Uh, the, hmm. In, in uh, New York City, in New York State, you do have to be a licensed funeral director. Hmm. But a, there's an unusual niche here because a lot of these people are independent entrepreneurs and they collect the dead from houses, hospital, morgues, accident scenes, and now... Um, <clears throat> well, to them, it's cargo, right? To them, it's cargo, yeah. It's, Not to the family, but to them, it's cargo. Well, I, I think it depends because, you know, there are people who are very respectful work in this industry. Oh, of course, but I guess what I mean is that to them, it's a, it's, it's a day job to get this from A to B. Right, yeah, they don't have the same 
personal attachment, of yeah. course. Yeah. Even if they, you know, are as reverent as they can be, uh, you know, it's different when it's your own blood, sure. essentially. Of course. And so uh, there have been class action lawsuits about this in California, but it's it's a big thing. And it's not always a hearse. That's the other thing. It's not always a hearse. It could be a Dodge Caravan. Oh, it could okay. be like a town and country. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. It could be uh, you know, like coroners. Coroners drive uh, plane vans as well. Uh, that's you know just to remain inconspicuous, I guess. But uh, I think everybody can kind of spot those vans in traffic, anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? The transportation of of uh, the, the dead. I mean, getting them from where they are now to where they have to be. I mean, and and. Any steps in between because there's a lot of steps really. And What's the, yeah, we've we've talked about hearses, of course. Yeah, we've talked and about which have a fascinating history. We've talked about hearses. We've talked about um, ambulances, which sometimes, unfortunately, function as hearses on the way to the hospital. Sure, yeah, and some were also designed as as the same. You know, they were right. they were both the exact same vehicle, um, professional vehicles, I guess. But if you think about it, you know, this ancient industry dates back into into mythology in a way because remember um, there's that ferryman in Greco-Roman mythology uh, by the river Styx right yeah. uh, Charon and you have to you have to pay him uh, two silver pieces for a ride and you know in that in that story they're carrying souls or spirits essentially sure but something very much like that occurs um, occurs here and I guess because it, it's that time of the year, Scott. I got to tell you, you know, 400, the, when it was a toll road, Yeah, it always used to freak me out sometimes late at night when I was driving. And, I, you know, it's a, for those who were not familiar, which was most most people, hopefully, uh, it was a 50-cent toll. And every so often, if I was in a weird mood or it was Halloween, you know, or I'd just seen a horror movie, I would be reminded of that old story. And I would see somebody bust through in the speeding lane because people tried to uh tried to get out of paying that 50 cents all the time they'd run the gate Uh uh-huh they would run the gate like uh like in convoy (laughs) for 50 cents (laughs) for 50 cents they would do that (laughs) and uh i always wondered like oh what's gonna happen to them what if the myth is real (laughs) so i i leave you with that vaguely uh vaguely mythology-based story for Halloween. (laughs) It's just strange, man. You think about it, we could get, like, that's such a weird side hustle. It is. And it, you know, it feels disrespectful or irreverent to call it a side hustle. Well, but you could do that. I mean, if you could be a hotshot driver, you know, the hotshot trucking industry? Yeah, yeah. You could be a hotshot driver that that carries the dead. I mean, I guess you could do that In, in most states, it sounds like. Yeah, you could also be, um, for instance, you could do Uber or Lyft on uh, weekend nights, and then during the week you could do that. Oh, that's grim, Ben. Same vehicle? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I don't know if I like that idea. Boy, that's uh, <laughs> you know what? That kind of go- well, uh, yeah. It's it's touching on what uh, Inan Chapel is about. Well, uh, it's getting close. Is it? Oh, it's it's close. It's not oh, not exact, but gross. it's close. Yeah. Oh man. Close proximity. Let's say. Well, what else? <laughs> <laughs> what? Where? Where else we go you, with this grim topic? You know, I don't know. I don't know if we have. Do you have any more examples of uh, of of transport? Because I'm thinking that maybe we do come back at some point with uh, with Lincoln's funeral train as a yeah. as another episode. Uh, maybe explore the type of train it was and exactly where it went and what happened along mm-hmm. the way because there were some remarkable things that happened along the way. Yeah. Um, and some things that happened before and after, of course. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's it, this Necropolis Railway thing. Yeah. How had we never heard of this until until just this week? I don't know. I, I know, just don't know how. It's just great timing. I think know? it was, yeah. And it, it just worked out right to be kind of a, uh, uh, something we do every year. We do a little spooky episode, a little something yeah. scary, maybe uh urban myth or something that, uh, urban legend rather, that uh, may or may not be true, you know, it's, leave it up to you. But Yeah, uh, it's just strange because, you know, like I'm creepy, and we work with a bunch of creeps. Why didn't we? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We but, don't you know, work with it, any creeps. It does kind of touch on some of this, uh, some of the, the stuff that we like to talk about off the air too. You sure. Know? Yeah. So uh, you know, crime and mm-hmm. and true crime. Uh, yeah, some of the darker sides of, of things. You know, that uh, I don't know. Anyways, more on that later. Yes, and we're gonna head out of here. But if you would like to check out our episode on hearses, which is, I, I guarantee you. 
it's it's more fascinating than it is dark. I just thought of another one. What's that? Didn't we have one that was uh, whatever happened to Elvis Presley's hearse? Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah that was a good one. I, that was I, a good one too. I like that story. That got to uh, uh, that one has an answer too. It does. It has an yeah. answer, and it's a uh, it's a it's a strange story. It's a cool story. I always like it when we can actually find the answer on any show. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a. I like a sense of fulfillment, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, you can check that out. You can check out some of our other uh, darker-themed episodes or just any episode that catches your eye because they are all in one place for you on carstuffshow.com. You can also catch Scott and I on the Facebooks and the Twitters uh, where we post things. Uh, That's how Steve contacted us. Yeah, exactly. uh, from the top of the episode. Uh, if you have a nickname suggestion for Scott, Noel, or myself, uh, then you can also let us know about those. Keep in mind, we're family shows, so there are some that might make us chuckle that we can't say on air. Yeah, but please include them. Yeah, please. I mean, they probably will be the good ones. Uh, and then, Scott, Scott, I gotta ask, um, where should people send correspondence if they have an idea for an upcoming show, a story about transport of the dead, or, uh, you know, a picture of a project car? Or if they have some experience in doing this. I would be interested in that, too. But if you want to, you can contact us via email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit Slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time and range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's beyond zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero.